You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. Hey everyone, we are on a series called The Gospel Explained. And today we are on the 11th installment of this series. We have been looking into the book of Romans. And today we are in Romans chapter 7. I'd like for you to turn your Bibles with me for a while to Romans chapter 7 verses 21 to 25. After this, you could actually read the entire passage from verse 1 down to verse 25. But for our discussion, we will cover verses 21 down to verse 25 only. We are reading from the ESV, and I'd like to read this for all of us. You can follow with me using your own Bibles at home. It says here, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. And making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So then I myself serve the law of God in my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. We are now in Romans chapter 7. And as what was mentioned last week, this is the third section of the book of Romans. And we are still on it. We began with this section last week when we've looked into Romans chapter 6. So if you were with us last week and feeling mo medyo duguan ka last week, may continuation po ngayon. Meron pong second serving for every single one of us. So this is what we've covered so far. Romans chapter 1 down to Romans chapter 3 verse 20. We've looked at our current state, our condemnation. Guilty as charged as we understand. Our state as humans. In Romans chapter 5 verse 21, We've looked into the initiative of God to justify us by faith. We've seen how Paul carefully sorted this out for all of us when he started explaining that every single one of us who are condemned, who stands condemned, can be declared righteous by virtue of what Christ has done on the cross. Like what I said, last week we began looking into our sanctification, our growth in the grace of sanctification, meaning to say the progress of our Christian walk. We said last week that everyone whom God justifies, He sanctifies. So the moment you get justified, the sanctification work of the Holy Spirit starts in our life. But we know that in justification, it is solely God's initiative. But in sanctification, there is a cooperation between us and the Holy Spirit, between us and God for us to grow in our walk with Christ. In Romans chapter 12, verse 15, and this is going to be further down the road, we will look into some practical applications of the Christian life. In fact, Romans chapter 13 will be quite interesting because we will look at our role as God's people when it comes to dealing with the government. But for now, let's look at sanctification first. In Romans chapter 5, we had an interesting time when we covered that because we tried understanding Romans chapter 5 by using some contrast. We started contrasting what life was like under Adam and what life was like under Christ. And because of this contrast, we were able to understand the subject at hand. And when we proceeded to Romans chapter 6 last Sunday, we started understanding the text by looking at some repetition of words. We have observed that there was a repetition of the words slave and the words obey or obedience. And because of that, we started understanding what the text is all about. Now today, we're going to do the same thing that we did two or three weeks ago. What is interesting here is that we will employ another set of contrast in order for us to understand this section in Romans chapter 7. So Paul now summarizes 
verse 21 down to verse 25, what we see here is that Paul summarizes Romans chapter 7 in terms of its double realities. There are some double realities that we will find here. And I am borrowing this from John's stat. And look at this one. This is what we will cover here today. We will look at these double realities first. We will look at two conflicts. It is found in Romans chapter 7, verse 21. After which we'll go down and look into two kinds of laws, which is found in verse 22 down to verse 23. And lastly, we will look into two kinds of Christ, which is found in Romans chapter 7, verse 24 to 25. The manner at which this will be preached is that we will look into the indicatives, which is these three, the three contrasts, the three double realities. These are the indicatives that we will look at here today. Two conflicts, two laws, two Christ. These are the indicatives after which we will look at the imperatives of these indicatives. So meaning to say we will look at the application that is brought by these realities that we will cover here today. So like what I said last week, indicatives should lead to imperatives. What we learn should be applied in our life. So a little later, we will look into some of its application. Well, in fact, you know, as we go through the indicatives, we will see some imperatives littered all over this text that we will look into. Let's start with the first one. First, let's look into the two conflicts. If you look at Romans chapter 7, verse 21, you would understand that there are two conflicts here. The two conflicts are between evil and right. You can actually say evil and good because we're using the ESV. We'll use the word right here. Romans chapter 7, verse 14 to 20. We didn't read that. But like what I said, you have to read this later, or I hope that you have read this beforehand. In Romans chapter 7, verse 14 to 20, this section serves as a context for what we have here in Romans chapter 7, verse 21. So it's good for us to first read Romans chapter 7, verse 14 to 20. It says here, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And then in verse 20, it says here, Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. What do we have here? If you would like to summarize that, we would see that Paul is in a predicament. This is basically the predicament of Paul, the, the frustration of Paul, if we may say that. The problem that he has in his mind, something that's baffling him. Imagine we're talking about someone who has an amazing brilliance of mind, a very intelligent man. And yet there's something in this aspect of his life, which is in this section, his sanctification that really baffles him, that really confuses him. When we start talking about the predicament of Paul, this is something that all of us can relate to. We can all relate to this. In a nutshell, this was Paul's predicament. As a believer, he commits both the sin of omission and the sin of commission. Sins of omissions are what he does not do, but should have done. And sins of commissions are what he does but should not have done. So these are the things that's perplexing for his mind. He's becoming desperate to understand why these things are happening. Now with regards to the specificity of this, we don't really understand what's really going on. But we know for a fact that there was a struggle within him. So it's safe for us to say that this is the struggle that we also have in our mind or rather in us 
as well. He was so baffled that it became so frustrating for him. Now, as a mature believer, take note, during this time, Paul was not a new believer. He was on his third missionary journey, meaning to say he was a mature believer when he had these questions in mind. He's been a Christian for years already, and if you would like to summarize what questions that he may have in his mind, the questions could look like this. He might be asking the question, why is he still sinning when he has a new heart that loves God? Why am I still sinning if I have a new heart that loves God? Okay? Or you could say that why is he still sinning when he has a new nature? I thought you said that we have received a new nature from God. So why do I still sin and the Holy Spirit now lives inside of me? Then why do I still sin as a believer? Now, let me try to bring it down to every single one of us first. Have you ever had these questions in your mind? Have you ever asked this question yourself? You're thinking, why do I still sin now that I am a Christian? To be more specific, sometimes we start asking questions like, Bakit meron pa rin akong anger problem? But meron pa rin akong anger problem ngayon na Christian na ako? Bakit kating-kati pa rin yung tenga ko pagka may gasip na nangyayari? Bakit ganun kong titigan ko yung babae? Bakit kung kumain ako parang wala ng bukas? Oops! Bakit ang yabang ko pa rin? Sometimes we have these things in our mind. Sometimes you think, ah, grabe, kaka-worship ko pa lang, kagagaling ko pa lang ng church, at nagawa ko na agad to. You know, sometimes we think about these things. Bakit panay-oo ko sa nobyo ko pag kamini siya sa akin na ayaw ko namang gawin kasi alam ko hindi mao-honor si Lord. You know, sometimes we think about these things and you start asking this question, why am I still sinning? Why am I still sinning now that I am a Christian? Now that I am a believer? Now that I have been given a new heart? Now that I am a new creation? Why do I still sin despite the fact that I love God? As we look into these three contrasting realities, we will discover some answers to these questions. The double realities that we will cover here today. Let's look into the first one. Let's go to Romans chapter 7, verse 21. It says here, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Paul begins verse 21 by talking about two conflicting powers. Take note, these are two conflicting powers within him. Alright? He starts verse 21 by talking about two conflicting powers within him. For Paul, as well as for every single one of us, there is like a tug of war within him. There's like a strong tug of war that's happening within him, that's pulling him to two polar opposites. And now Paul identifies these powers. He identifies these powers as found in verse 21, and he says these powers are right and evil. So let's try to look into this for a while. First, let's try to understand this. We need to know that we're talking about a regenerate person. Paul here was not talking about an unbeliever. He's not describing someone. He's describing himself. Catch it? He's talking about a believer. He's talking about a Christian. He's talking about you and me. Now, in this case, we can be identified then, you and me, together with Paul, we can then be identified as fallen yet regenerate. Fallen in nature, yet we are regenerate. We have been regenerated. We have been redeemed by God, as we understand. In a fallen and regenerate personality, we need to understand that both right and evil are present simultaneously. 
Let me read it again. In a fallen yet regenerate personality, right and evil are both present simultaneously. You have to take note that Paul says evil lies. It is in the present tense. All right? It is in the present tense. Meaning to say, this is a present reality. This was a present reality for him. This is a present reality for you and for me. The present reality says, according to Paul in Romans chapter 7, verse 21, evil lies close at hand. Now, what makes this further interesting is the fact that Paul says that there is something about this present reality. And here's what he says. He says, this present reality, the reality that evil lies close at hand, is what? Is a law within us. It is a law within us. So this is not just some remnants. It is a law within us. The word law here is the word nomos, which means it is a governing principle or an operating rule. It is within us. In essence, Paul is saying that the law or principle is what? Evil is lying close at hand. If you would look at this in NASB, here's what it says here. I find then the principle that evil, look at this one, here's what it says. That evil is present in me. Alright? That evil is present in me. You have to take note also the fact that it says evil and not just sin. Paul starts writing this down. When he starts writing this down to the believers in Rome, he wants them to understand that what is present within us is not just sin, but evil. So meaning to say, if you look at the word evil, it is the word kakos, which means wicked, bad, and destructive. So meaning to say, ikaw po, wag na lang ikaw, yung katabi mo, hindi lang sinful, kundi evil. Paul does not treat this as a small, insignificant sin, but rather, he understands that evil that is within him. What does it mean that there's evil within you? Okay? It means to say that you're capable of sinning. It means to say that you're capable of sinning big time. It means to say that you're capable of murder. You're capable of rape. You're capable of terrorism. You're capable of every single thing that dishonors God. Parang ganito po yan. Halimbawa, nagbakasyon kayo. May lalapit sa akin, sasabihin sa akin, um, Pastor, Kuya, okay, nagbakasyon kami sa Baguio ng girlfriend ko. Ay, isang kwarto kami. Pero, Pastor, walang nangyari ha. Nasa isang kwarto kami. Pero, don't worry. Kaming dalawa lang, nag-usap lang kami. Of course, hindi naman kita judge but come to think of this, pag sinabi mo kay Paul kayaya, if you say that thing to Paul, nako, baka sulatan ka pa ng isang buong letter. Madagdagan pa tuloy yung Bible namin. Salamat sa'yo, baka maging quiet time pa namin yung story nyo. Paul's letter to Bogart and Marilou. Because he won't buy these kinds of stories. Why? Because he knows for a fact that evil is within us. Come on now. Meaning to say, we are capable of sinning big time. It says here, evil lies close at hand. The idea here is that sin is crouching, lying in wait, ready to spring at any moment. It's like a lion waiting for a kill, hiding behind a bush. That is basically what Paul is trying to make us understand here. This is the same thing that we find when God told Cain in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, when God said, sin is crouching at the door, Cain, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. The very sin, the same sin that was crouching at the door of Cain is the same sin that is lying in there waiting for us, waiting to devour every single one of us. The first power that's pulling you in is the power of evil. 
Now, on the other end of the rope is the part wherein Paul wants to do what is right. That which honors God. Here's what he says. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, there's an aspect, there's something in him that wants to honor God, that wants to pursue holiness. The word once here in its original Greek is the word thelo, which means to be resolved, to be determined, to do what is right, to basically honor God. There is a part of Paul that has the tenacity, the zeal, the passion to pursue holiness, to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Christ. Going back to the two persons a while ago, si Bogart and Marilou, when they go to Baguio and stay in one room together, tapos hindi po sila married. Both of them actually know because both of them are Christian. By the way, both Bogart and Marilou, I just invented these names. Bogart and Marilou, both of them are thinking, I don't think this is right. Hindi nila masabi sa isa't isa, pero both of them are thinking, I don't think this is right. Let's assume that nothing has happened. The other aspect could be, I don't think this is wise. In the eyes of men, in the eyes of God. I don't think this is wise. Both of them have this in their mind, but it's just that the question here is that which pool are they giving themselves into? The pool of evil or the pool of right? Right? Every single day, we are confronted with this same decision. A lot of times, our justification is, it's not a sin anyway. Hindi naman sin uminom. Hindi naman sin na pumunta ako dito. A lot of times, we justify things that way. But sometimes, we just simply have to ask, is this wise in the eyes of men? Is this something that will cause people to honor God or stumble people by looking at your life? The evil principle and the desire for right are both inside of Paul. So there's like a civil war within him. Take note, this is a war. This is not a cold war. Hindi to na parang hindi lang nagpapansin No, there's really what? There's really a tension between the two. A fighting between the two. And guess what? He never outgrows this conflict. As long as you live in this world, you will never outgrow this conflict. You will never be able to say, I have already graduated from last. I have already graduated from addictions. You can never say those things. But praise God, God has delivered you from them. But you need to always stay away from them. As we grow older in the faith, the more we have an increasing understanding of the holiness of God. Sometimes our understanding is the other way around. Ah, I'm already a mature Christian. That thing won't affect me anymore. No, if you are a mature Christian, you know for a fact that as a mature Christian, you have an increasing understanding of the holiness of God. All the more that you understand your own tendencies, your own sinfulness. As you understand further the holiness of God. At the end of the day, you understand that you're always vulnerable. Like what I said, Paul was in his third missionary journey. When he wrote this to the people in Rome, to the believers in Rome, the same conflict between evil and right is still being played out to every single one of us. Nangyari po to kay Paul. This was a challenge, a struggle for Paul. This therefore, most likely, is a struggle and a challenge for every single one of us. Of course, we refer to our sin nature. If you feel this tug of war, if you feel that there's a tension inside of you, then it's actually a good thing. Because you know why? It means to say something. It means to say that you are a Christian. It means to say that you are a believer. If you don't feel any tug of war within you, then you may not be a Christian. That's basic fact, perhaps. Perhaps that's the reality of our life. 
If you feel a growing intensity of this internal strife within you, it is because you have been what? You've been a Christian. You've been birthed again. You've been converted to Christ. Once you have been justified, friends, this is the fact, an internal battle ensues within you. An internal battle starts between evil and right inside of us. Let's go to the second conflict, the second double reality. There are two laws that we find here. And this is the law of God and the law of sin. Romans chapter 7, verse 22 to 23, it says here, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Coming from two conflicting powers. Now, Paul begins to point out that there are these two laws that are at work within every single one of us. Within us are two laws that are at work, the law of God and the law of sin. Let's look at the law of God first. It says here, Romans chapter 7, verse 22, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Now, having the law of God, accordingly, if you look at this, having the law of God delights Paul. Meaning to say, he loves the law of God. Now, of course, the law here refers to the Mosaic law. It refers to the principles found in the Ten Commandments. Every single thing that God has unveiled to his people as a law, Paul accordingly delights on these things. For him, this is still operative in his life. These are the things that regulate his life as a Christian. The law serves as a guardrail for him. And look at this one. For Paul, he doesn't find the law restricting. He doesn't feel like, ah, puro law na lang. He doesn't feel that way. You know why? Because he says, I delight. He loves it. He loves the law. He does not dread submitting himself in the law of God. He does not feel like the law of God is restricting him. He doesn't even feel like the law of God is obsolete for his life. To the contrary, in fact, we understand that the Bible says in Romans chapter 7, verse 22, that he actually delights in him. So if you look at that, he's not someone who would say things like this. If Paul would be a person that you will correct, for example, you see something in his life, because like what I said, there are two conflicting powers in his life. Let's say you're one of his friends back in the days, and you see him doing something, he gave into the other conflicting power, which is the power of evil in his life, and you start correcting him, you start pointing that out to him. He's not someone who's going to tell you, Uy, legalistic man kayo ka, Uy, he's not gonna do that to you. Sometimes we're like that. When something is pointed out to us, our initial response is, Napaka-legalistic mo naman. Why are you so legalistic? You know, sometimes we think that way. When someone would ask us, Dai, wala lagi kay simba-simba. Sometimes our answer is, Grabe po mo ka-legalistic ko eh. Abi kay leader na ka. Ingaanan na ka, judgmental na ka. Sometimes that's our default response. When things are being pointed out to us, guess what? Pag lumalabas sa bibig mo yan, isa lang po ibig sabihin. Ibig sabihin po, wala po kayong delight sa law ni God. You don't have a delight for His word. When we come into an immediate defense mode, when something is pointed out in our life, then that is a red flag. Listen, if you are a Christian, listen to this. That is a red flag. Paul says, I delight in the law of God. I delight in the law of God because if you don't delight in the law of God, then you might delight on the other law, which is the law of sin. Here's what's fascinating. In the latter part of verse 22, here's what he says. For I delight in the law of God. Look at this one. In my inner being. In my inner being. 
You folks catch that? Even if no one will point out to you that you have not been reading your Bible, you know for a fact that the Holy Spirit is already telling you about these things. The Holy Spirit is already reminding you about these things. Even without anyone pointing out to you that you have become so obnoxious, your attitude is obnoxious, you're so palaway, you're so maldita, and all of these things. You know for a fact that the Holy Spirit is pointing this out to you. But it's always good that God sends people to confront you with these things. This is what happened to Paul and to all of us. It says here in verse 22, the law of God, according to him, is my in my inner being. Say that with me firm. This is very important. Inner being. Take note. The law is in your inner being. What has happened here? Remember Ezekiel. Here's what basically what happens. God took our heart of stone and replaced it with the heart of flesh. A heart that perceives him. A heart that perceives his holiness. A heart that perceives his presence. And not just that, friends, not just that. There's more. We have to understand that God wrote the law. He wrote the law in the tablets of our heart. He wrote the law in the tablets of our heart. It is in our inner being. Because like what I said, you know for a fact that if you're dishonoring God, the Holy Spirit is already pointing that out to you because God's law is in our heart. That gives us an explanation as to why if you have become a Christian, your conscience is sharper. Your conscience is sharper. Why? Because God set it out deep within us, in our inner man. Look at this one. This is interesting. In Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, look at what the psalmist would say with regards to the law of God. Here's what he says. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Look at this one. If you want to experience the fullness if we want to experience the fullness of communion, the fullness of God's blessing, if you look at Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, then it gives us a picture that we need to put a what? A firewall in our life. A firewall in our life. Because it says here, blessed is the man who does not walk in the ways of the wicked, stand in the path of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers. Take note, the guy starts walking, starts standing down, uh, starts standing, and after which starts sitting in the seat of scoffers. You have to realize that sin is not something that you fall into. Sin is something that you walk into. If you have started sinning, if sin has become like a second nature in your life, in our life, it only means one thing. It means that we have removed every single guardrails, removed church community, removed discipleship, removed attending church, removed all of these guardrails, and you start walking into sin. You don't fall into it. You walk into it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 a very common verse for every single one of us. Bad company corrupts good character. Remember what we've talked about last Sunday. We have to submit, surrender, devote our conversations, our character, and our conduct. And Bible teaches us, Paul teaches us, that bad company indeed corrupts good character. So who are the people that you surround yourself with? 
Sino yung ka-fellowship mo? Or baka kainuman mo? Because these things are important. The psalmist then shifts to the passive In a total contrast, here's what he says. Diba verse 1, sabi niya po, he starts talking about a person walking into the council of the wicked, standing in the path of sinners, and sitting in the seat of scoffers. In verse 3, he starts saying, but his delight, this blessed person, he does not do those things, but look at this one. His delight is in the what? The law of God. In the law of the Lord. In it, he meditates day and night. He delights in the law of God. And in verse 2 is the result. If you're someone who delights in the law of God, take note, two conflicting powers, two law, law of God, law of sin. If you delight in the law of God, here's the result. You will be a tree firmly planted by streams of water. These streams of water comes gushing out of the law of God. And the law of God, as we understand, it revives, it refreshes, it reinvigorates every single one of us. The law of God then is a means of grace that flows into our lives. To the contrary, the law of sin, he gives the other law that is at work in us. And this is quite sad. It says in verse 23, sabi niya, but, oh my goodness, but I see in my members, in my body, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. This law stands in stark contrast to the law of God. It is the exact opposite of the law of God. There is an unwritten law inside of us. An unwritten law inside of us. And that is what our sin nature, our flesh, our flesh that still wants to sin. Where do we find this sin nature in us? It's found in verse 23. It says here, in the members of my body. In the members of my body. Meaning to say, my body is still corrupted. My body is still corrupted. The law of sin is still to work in my life. From the top of my head down to the bottom to my feet, sin still makes its way into every area of my life. The same way that they did with Paul. You know, Simon, Kai's maker, I quoted him last Sunday. He says further, likewise, sin is in every member of your body. It is in our mind as we have selfish thoughts. It is in our eyes as we look with lust, with greed, with envy. Na-insecure ka. Cafe Facebook mo, nagulat ka. After mag-Facebook, na one hour ka sa Facebook, it ended up na-insecure ka. Why? Because of envious mind. It is in our eyes as we look with less greed and envy. It is in our ears that we want to hear more of this scintillating gossip. It is in our tongue and mouth as we speak half-truths and put others down. It is in our hands as we lay hold of things that we should not. It is in our feet that we travel and go to places that we should not go. Romans chapter 7 verse 23, it says here, Waging war against the law of my mind. There is a war! It's waging war in the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin. Paul is very clear. And why is this so? Because you have to understand that you are a Christian now. There is a strong resistance against your walk. The devil would want you to fall and falter in your Christian walk. The battle for your Christian life is the battle of your mind. It starts in our mind. That's why Paul would later say in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we're going to cover this down the road. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
That's why repentance is important. Repentance is a change of direction. It starts in the mind. That's why Bible says that we produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Paul emphasizes the mind. Why? Because the mind begins to pull the heart and the heart begins to pull the will. So whoever wins in your mind, whichever power wins in your mind, whichever law governs your mind, begins to pull your will to that direction, to the direction that they want you to. The battlefield is in our mind. What do you think about most during the day? What consumes your mind? I'm busy with work. All right, you're busy with work. During the downtimes, during the time that you're driving, during the time that you're not doing anything, during meal times, what runs in your mind? You will not be surprised to think that the very thing that runs in your mind, your will goes with it. And you are going to be astonished that you are actually doing what your mind has conceived. The battleground is in our mind. Sin still has power in our life. That is a fact. It is no longer the dominant tyrant as before our conversion, but nevertheless, it is a force that must be dealt with in our Christian lives. It never backs off. It never waves a white flag. This will happen in our life up until the moment of our death. There are two cries here which is the last one. The two cries here is the cry of desperation. And the second one is the cry of celebration. Now look at this one. Let's go to the first one. Let's look into the cry of desperation of Paul. And I want to say and emphasize this in the manner at which he was feeling this. And here's what he says. Wretched man that I am. He was so frustrated with himself. He considers himself wretched man that I am. It's not a lack of self-esteem. It's an understanding of his standing before God. He says, wretched man I am. The word wretched here in its original Greek, Taliporus, means one who is painfully afflicted and miserable. Painfully afflicted and miserable. Paul gives a reason as to how he will get out of this state. He starts asking, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He looks at this body and says, this is a body of death. Who will deliver me from this? Perhaps the question is, who then can deliver Paul from this body of death? Who then can deliver us from this body of death? Who then can deliver us from this law of sin? Who then can deliver us from this power of evil in our life? Obviously, the only one who can deliver us is someone who does not have this different law within his being. Okay, Paul says, this is a body of death. He's referring to his physical body. We still live in a body that is tainted by sin. And this also explains why we get sick. Our bodies decaying. This explains why we have diabetes, why we get stroke, why we have cancer. As long as we are in this body, we will experience this pain. We will experience this suffering. 
But he shifts. He starts shifting to a mode of celebration, to a cry of celebration, from yelling, wretched man that I am. Here's what he says now in verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, with an exclamation mark. He starts thanking Jesus. You know why? Because he understands one thing. He knows for a fact that it is only Jesus who can and who will deliver him from this body of death. We need to understand, friends, that complete deliverance from sin will not come during this lifetime. We need to understand that the ultimate deliverance from sin will come at our final glorification. Yung salvation po, parang chain po yan. Sa pinaka-end ng chain po is our glorification. It starts with justification and we are still here in the process of sanctification. Let me try to further explain that. As long as you are present in this body of death, the struggle will go on. In justification, God dealt with the penalty of sin. Yung po yung natin. So Romans chapter 3, 4, and 5. The penalty of sin is something that God dealt with in justification when we were justified. In sanctification, He is dealing with the power of sin. It is still present but no longer present, no longer a tyrant over our life, no longer have dominion over our life. It is still present but in sanctification, God is dealing with its power, its funds in our life. But in the future, in our glorification, He will deal with the presence of sin. Has dealt, is dealing, will deal. This is basically what is happening in our life. Paul talks about our glorification actually in the next chapter, Romans chapter 8, verse 23. Not only this, but we also, we ourselves, having the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Ito na yung wretched man that I am. Groaning within ourselves, waiting eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our body. As long as we are in this body, within us, we groan for the time our body will be redeemed. That groaning within us is the struggle against sin. Our sin nature will be fully and completely eradicated from all members of the body at that time. But for now, we need to submit, surrender, and devote our lives. Devote our conduct, our character, and our conversation. That is what God wants to see us do. There are two aspects of sanctification and allow me to end this by quickly talking about this now first is the aspect of mortification and the other one is vivification it's as simple as this one mortification is the putting off vivification is the putting on putting on the armor of god putting off meaning to say putting to death so every time you think about your sanctification it is as simple as this lord i want to be sanctified I want to glorify your name. I want to worship you, Lord. What shall I do? Two things. And this is our application. Put off, put on. All you need to do is put off, put on. Putting on, we know what to put on. Putting off is a difficult part in our life. And there are things that we need to understand. Since the battleground is in our mind, let's quickly talk about our mindset. First, as a believer, you have to understand that you are a saint, meaning to say you have been set apart. Your citizenship is no longer in this world. Have that in your mind. You are in this world, but you are not of this world. 
a lot of times we think I'm still sinning as a Christian so you get frustrated because you get frustrated all the more you give in to sin that's a wrong mindset why because you're thinking that sin still has a dominion over you that's wrong why because the reality is the moment you have been justified sin no longer has a dominion over you that defeatist attitude that you have should stop your defeatist attitude towards sin is because you think that sin still has a dominion over you Here's the fact, beloved, as a Christian, as a believer, sin no longer has a dominion over you. Look at this one, Romans chapter 6, verse 14. We've covered this last week. For sin will have no dominion over you. It is true that we will still sin. We just have to deal with the fact that we have to put off. We have to cut off the sin issues in our life. What are your sin issues? What are the things that you need to cut off in your life guess what i know you know this you know why because you know that the law of god is at work in your life therefore you know what to need to put off i hope you don't delay i hope you don't tarry that revival may come into your life always think that sin has no dominion over you before our sanctification the picture is something like this it's like the scene will tell you archie jump our question is, um, okay, sin, how high? When sin tells us to jump, our response is, how high, sin? How high would you want me to jump? Sometimes that is how we are. That's how we were before. But now, as a Christian, even na po yung mindset. When sin tells you, Bogart, jump! What do you do? You're not a slave to sin anymore. You don't tell sin how high. You can deny his goodness. Tell sin, you want me to jump? Pick up! Tell the sin. That's basically what you can do. The reality of our union with Christ should be operative in our life. Our union with Christ gives us a picture that we have already died to sin. When Christ died on the cross at Calvary, John Owen said, Be killing sin or it will be killing you. If you want to process this sermon, perhaps the question is, Do you really want to deal with sin in your life? Do you really want to kill sin in your life? The sin that you have? Do you really want to kill that? Because if you don't want to, then this is a useless sermon for you. But if you want to deal with sin in your life, then you know for a fact that there's something that you need to put to death. Put to death. Sins don't die a natural death. You kill them. That's how you deal with with sin you don't pet them you kill them killing them could involve texting people killing them could involve deactivating something an account because you know that it's not honoring god killing sin could involve removing the dark tint in your car or might as well sell that car if it's causing you to sin? That is such an extremist attitude to have towards sin. Well, we want to deal with sin. Our motives are important. Here, look. I hope this motivates you. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 to 6. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Look at this. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. 
Why do we need to deal with sin? The wrath of God is coming. Huh? I'm forgiven. I've been justified. The wrath of God is coming, it says here. Because Matthew chapter 7, verse 20, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Christians, believers, will be recognized by their fruits. If you are not bearing fruit, start asking, am I really a believer? Because if not, the wrath of God is coming. Here's a good question for every single one of us as we land this. Is there sufficient evidence in your life that you are battling with sin? Can people see that? Is there a progress? Derek Thomas says, if you don't engage in gospel mortification, putting to death, putting off, the wrath of God is coming. You will be judged for it. Sometimes you find this judgment as being given over. This current wrath that we may experience is being given over to the sins that we love. You will also observe by looking at Colossians when Paul starts enumerating sins like sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, you discover that sin has names. Write down the sins in your life and deal with them one by one. Cut their heads off one by one. Label them and deal with them. Surrender, submit, devote our character, conduct, and conversations to our Lord Jesus Christ. In the end, we know for a fact that Jesus will deliver us from this body of death. For now, as a believer, God wants you to cooperate with the Holy Spirit if you want to grow in this grace of sanctification in your life. You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit victorytumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.